The scripture reading, um, the sermon is based upon, is from Joshua 6. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in the house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable for destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. And then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word and we ask that you would give us understanding today of it and that you would use your word to point us to the Savior, Jesus. Amen. We've been studying the Old Testament book of Joshua, which is an account of how God brought the people of Israel into the land of Canaan. And today I want to talk about an aspect of this book that is very difficult for most of us to make sense of. And that's the fact that when God brought Israel into Canaan, God instructed his people to annihilate, to kill everyone who lived there. Um, today's passage is a record of the conquest of the city of Jericho. And when 
Joshua told the people in verse 21 that everyone in the city, men and women, young and old, were to be destroyed with the sword. He wasn't coming up with that himself. He was, he was following marching orders that the Bible says were given to the people by God himself. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, as Israel was approaching the land of Canaan, Moses gave them this word from the Lord. He said, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you've defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them. Show them no mercy. So God instructed the people of Israel to destroy all the people of Canaan. And this is hard. I mean, this is just hard to process. Why would a loving God ask his people to do something so violent? And how do we fit this with the teaching of Jesus? Je Jesus said, turn the other cheek. He said, love your enemies. He said, do to others as you'd have them do to you. So th the question, this is a hard one today. What are we supposed to do with the conquest of Canaan? And I, that's what I want to talk about today. I want you to understand my goal is not to make us all feel happy about this. All right? I don't. In fact, I don't think the Bible wants us to feel happy about this. I don't think God felt happy about this. That's not my goal. Um, my goal is just for us to understand what happened from the context of, of biblical history. So to do that, I, I've got really three talking points, and I'll have to go through them quickly, but I, I, I think they're important. First, I want to talk about what happened, what actually happened um, in the conquest of Canaan. Then I want to talk about what did not happen, because we sometimes assume things. So what, what's going on here? What happened? What did not happen? And then third, I just want to talk about why we should be very disturbed by this. Okay, so let's, let's start with, with what happened. Theologically speaking, when, um, when God told the Israelites to destroy the people of Canaan, theologically speaking, what's going on here, this is a holy God instructing his people to serve as an instrument of divine wrath. This is the only place in the Bible God ever asked his people to do this. This should never, ever be used as an excuse for religious violence today. But this is one place in Scripture where a holy God is instructing his people to serve as an instrument of his wrath. So this is, this is a picture of God's punishment on sin. Now, 500 years before the time of Joshua, in Genesis chapter 15, we read that God promised Abraham that he would give Abraham's descendants the land of Canaan. But God said to Abraham, but not yet. I'm not giving them the, the land to you yet. First, your descendants will have to go live in another land. They'll be slave there, slaves there for 400 years. Then I'll bring them back, and then I will give 
uh, you the land. And if I were Abraham, I'd be asking God, why do we have to wait so long? And God answered that question. He said, because the sin of the Amorites, the sin of the Canaanites has not reached its full measure. In other words, God said that the, the destruction of the Canaanites would not take place until in God's eyes that destruction was warranted by their sin. Um, so th th it's a, this is punishment on sin. And Moses said the same thing to the people as they were approaching. Still in the wilderness, De Deuteronomy 9, Moses said to them, after the Lord your God has driven the Canaanites out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it's on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It's not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you're going to take possession of their land, but it's on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God will drive them out before you. So whether you like that or not, accept it or not, that's the, that's the ex explanation that the Bible gives to us of this, that the destruction of Canaan, this is God punishing sin. And a question that, you know, every generation asks is, all right, what was, what was the sin of the Canaanites? And the scripture actually gives us, um, lists several sins that were going on widespread in their culture. The, f the first it talks about a lot is the fact that the Canaanites were very idolatrous people. They were, they had turned from the creator. They were worshiping creation, worshiping uh, all kinds of false gods. A second one that's mentioned is that sexual immorality was widespread in their culture, if you read in Leviticus 18, you find this long list of sexual sins that were just broadly accepted uh, among, among the Canaanites. A third, which is just horrifying to even talk about, is that infanticide, um, the, the deliberate killing of babies, of, of children, infanticide was practiced as part of their religion. Deuteronomy 12, verse 31 says, they even burned their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. And then a fourth one is that they were very warlike, violent people. In, in Judges chapter one, you read of a Canaanite king who um, before he's about to be destroyed by the Israelites, he confesses that he himself had conquered 70 other cities and had mutilated and degraded the kings of those places. So these are the, the kinds of sins that, that were going on. And God is calling his people to serve as an instrument of, of his wrath and punishment. It's important to know that God, as God called them to do this um, in the law of, of Moses, God warned the Israelites that if they, if they ever um, began to commit these kinds of sins, they would also be driven from the land. So this is not just some kind of ethnically uh, targeted kind of hatred of one people group. I was just saying to the Israelites, I don't care if you're the people of my covenant, you do this too, wrath will come on you. So this is, that's what's happening here. Um, the way the Bible explains this, this is God dealing with evil in the world, and uh, it's not easy, but you know, well, you know, skeptics will sometimes say, you know, if, if there really is a God, is there a God? If there really is a God, why doesn't he do something about the evil in the world? And this is an example of God doing something about it. Um, so that's what happened here. This is God punishing uh, sin. Now, let me talk secondly about what did not happen. This is, this is wrath, the wrath of God. 
two things. First, this is not unexpected wrath. Sometimes a, a reason the book of Joshua is so horrifying is we, we might read this and think, oh, these, these Canaanites, they're just, they, these, are, these are innocent people. They've never heard of God. They have no idea they're doing anything wrong. And then suddenly, without warning, they, they're destroyed. But that's, that's really not the case. They knew about God. They knew right from wrong. Here's why I say that. In, in Genesis, when Abraham uh, came to the land of Canaan, so 500 years before Joshua, you read that the people of Canaan, they knew about God, the, the God of the Bible. There, in, in Genesis 14, there's one Canaanite king named Melchizedek. He is described as a priest of God most high. And, and you read there of, of Melchizedek, he ministered to Abraham. He, he was a source of spiritual comfort to Abraham. And he said to Abram, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. So there, within their culture, there's this knowledge of God. Again, in, in Genesis 20, there's another king, Abimelech. Abimelech hears from God, he prays to God, and he seems to have a more tender conscience when it comes to obeying God than Abraham does. In, in, in Genesis 26, there's, there's, you need read of a, a king in Canaan who talks to Isaac, Abraham's son. He, he talks to him about the blessing and the goodness of God. And here's what's amazing. That king refers to God by the name Yahweh. It's not just some vague knowledge of a creator. The Canaanites are using the covenant name of God. So um, by the time Joshua shows up, there has been within the Canaanite culture a knowledge of the living God for over half a millennia, over 500 years. So they've, they've known about God. And for at least 40 years, we read, they've known that God was going to punish them. In, in Numbers chapter 14, um, we read that shortly after Israel left the land of Egypt, so this is 40 years before Joshua, a whole generation before, we read that the people of Canaan heard that God, the living God, was with Israel. They heard that he was leading Israel by a pillar of cloud and a fire, and they heard, 40 years before, they heard that God had promised to give Israel their land. So they they knew punishment was coming. A few weeks ago, we were in Gen Joshua chapter 2. Pastor Jeffrey preached about how, how Joshua sent these two spies into, into Jericho, and, and they were protected by this woman named Rahab. And do you remember what Rahab said to them? Here's what she said. She said, I know that Yahweh has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Yahweh, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. So the way the Bible describes this, this is not unexpected Wrath coming on people who've never heard of God. They didn't know they're doing anything wrong. They've known of God, the living God. There's a knowledge of God in their culture. And for a whole generation, they've known. They've been warned. Um, wrath is coming. So it's wrath, but it's not uh, two things. What it's not, 
It's not unexpected wrath. And then secondly, this is not, this was not unavoidable wrath. You read here in, in, in today's passage, because this woman Rahab, because she allied herself with the God of Israel and, 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 and uh, embraced the covenant promises of God, she was spared from the wrath of God. And not only was Rahab spared, Rahab was given the opportunity to go to her family, to go to her friends and, and invite them, plead with them, won't you come to my house and stay with me? Won't you trust in the promises of the living God with me? If you do, you, you also will be spared. She was given this a, 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 a period of time just to go and invite people, come, please come. Why tie, why perish, come. Trust the living God with me. And we read here that all of those, all of those who responded with faith, and gathered with this woman Rahab, they were all spared. Verse 17, Joshua said, the city and all that is in it are devoted to the Lord. That is, they are objects of God's wrath. But Rahab, he said, and the, the prostitute and all who are with her in her house, all who are with her shall be spared because she, she hid the spies that we sent. So this is not, this is not unav unavoidable. Um, and you'll read this throughout Joshua. Canaanites, regardless of who they are, Canaanites who repented and sought mercy from, from Jehovah, they received mercy. In um, Joshua chapter 9, we're going to read about an entire city of Canaanites called the Gibeonites who came seeking peace with Israel. And they kind of tricked Israel into making a treaty with them. But what's interesting to note, the reason they tricked Israel is because they were seeking the Lord. This, this is what they said. They, they said, we have come because of the fame of Yahweh, your God. We were clearly told how Yahweh, your God, has commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you. So they said, we have come seeking Yahweh, seeking mercy. And you know what happened when they came seeking mercy? They received it. That whole city, that whole city was spared. You see, it, God said something, and in, in, you read this later, Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 7 and 8. This is just God declaring his standard operating procedure whenever he has declared wrath on anyone. Here, here's what God says. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and, and destroyed. And if that nation, I warned, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. That's just the way God operates. God has such a, just almost a compulsive um, reflex reaction to repentance. When sinners repent, God responds with mercy. You, you read the book of Joshua. Here's one thing you will never, ever, ever find in Joshua or anywhere in the Old Testament. You will never read of a Canaanite hearing that Israel is coming, repenting of his or her sin and asking for mercy and then being destroyed. That just never happens. Never happens. All of the ones who repent are are forgiven. In, in, uh, when we get a couple of weeks from now to Joshua chapter 8, there's this beautiful scene where all the people of Israel gather at this place called Ibal, and they gather there for a covenant renewal service, just a, a chance to worship the Lord together and, and hear once again how much God loves them as his people. And, and uh, 
It says in Joshua 8 at this covenant renewal service, Joshua read the book of the law to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. There were four, it's not explained who they are. This is even before Gibeon. But there were foreigners, non-Israelites, who were coming to the, the covenant community, wanting to be embraced by the, by, by, the, by the arms of this God of Israel. And they were welcomed into the covenant, all of them. None of them were turned away. So this is not easy. This is really, really hard. But, but we just at least need to understand what's going on here. First, this is wrath. This is a holy God punishing human sin. What's not happening here? This is not unexpected wrath. And it's not unavoidable. Um, now, my third, this is disturbing. Why, why should we be disturbed by this? Why should this really bother us? And let me tell you. Um, I think that when you read the book of Joshua, there ought to be moments where there's just tears. I think we ought to grieve when we hear of the battle of Jericho. When we hear of this, we just ought to weep over this. And I'll tell you why I say that, because I'm convinced that God in heaven grieved In, in Ezekiel 33, Ezekiel 33, 11, God said this, As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather they turn from their ways and live. That verse would tell me that if, if somehow you've been given the impression that the God of the Bible is just some kind of, he's up there with his clipboard watching everyone's mistake and just can't wait to punish people, you have been fed a life that is not the God of the Bible. He does not delight. He punishes sin. He's a holy God, but he takes no joy in that. This is why the apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, he said, God is not wanting Anyone to perish. The, 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 the passion of God's heart is not for anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. So I, I'm just convinced God grieved over the death of, of the Canaanites and that we ought to as well as we read this book. Um, it should disturb us. But I don't think it's the main thing that should disturb us. The, 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 main, the main thing that ought to bother us when we read um, Joshua is not the fact that 3,000 years ago, um, ancient people in Canaan met with the wrath of God. The, the, main, the main thing that ought to really, really shake us is that the Bible says that this will happen again. Just, just as God sent Joshua to bring his wrath to Canaan, the Bible says that someday God will send Yeshua, Jesus, his son, back to this world to bring his wrath. And it won't, it won't just be for a localized region of the planet. 
It, it, it will be God's judgment on the entire world and, and, and what Jesus will bring when he comes with the armies of heaven. Listen, it's not merely physical death, as bad as that is, like the Canaanites suffered. He, he comes, the Bible says, to bring, the Bible calls it the second death, an eternal death. We would call it hell, eternal separation from anything good or joy-giving. And again, it's not fun to talk about, but it's important to talk about. Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. Jesus said this in Matthew 13. He said, the son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil, they, they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So I, I think that the main thing that ought to rattle us, I've heard of people are so disturbed by Joshua, you know, they walk away from the faith. Listen, the main thing that should rattle you and, and disturb us is not what happened 3,000 years ago. But what the Bible warns us will happen soon. Um, Jesus will return to bring judgment, to bring wrath. But just as with in the book of Joshua, this wrath is not unavoidable. It's not. And that, that, that's, that, that's the good news. The good news of the gospel is that God is right now, right now, ready in a moment to forgive and restore and receive anyone who will turn from their sin and come to, come to Yeshua, come to Jesus. God is so, we can't even imagine, God is so willing to forgive. God just delights to forgive. Jesus said that when one sinner repents and comes back to the Father, all of heaven bursts into celebration. He's so willing to forgive. You, we might say, well, how willing, how willing is he to forgive? Well, remember I told you 500 years before this, um, God said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, um, I'm going to give you the land of Canaan, but first um, your descendants are going to have to suffer as slaves for 400 years. Because I want these Canaanites to have a chance to repent. Think about that. God, you tell me you love Canaanites that much? God, you tell me you love sinners that much? You would let your children suffer as slaves just so sinners could have a chance to repent? And God says, oh more than you know. Not only would I let my, my children suffer as slaves so sinners could have a chance to repent, I would let my son die on a cross so anyone, everyone could have a chance to repent and be forgiven. And so that's this, how, how willing is God to forgive and welcome anyone so willing that he died so it could happen. You know, Jesus said this in John 6. He said, whoever, that's, that's a big word. I fit into that word. So do you. He said, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. Whoever comes 
Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, in, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of God's grace. So, listen, I don't think we should feel happy that uh, Jesus is coming to judge the world. It ought to just shake us. But there is good news for you. There is good news for you to share with others that this wrath is, un is avoidable. All right? So um, let, me, let me close with this. I often i am fascinated with this story of uh, the conquest of Jericho. And I often ask myself, why did God conquer Jericho so slowly? Why not just send the people in, the walls fall down, boom, it's over. God says, no, we're going to take our time with this. You're going to take a whole day. I want everyone to walk all the way around the city with the priests blowing the horns and the Ark of the Covenant in full view. Take a whole day and do it. How, how long did that take? Hours? Then I want you to go out another day. Day two, all the way around, nice and slow. Don't, don't rush. Walk around, walk around. Day three, four. On the seventh day, God says, oh, now, you're going to have to get up early for this. This is going to take a long time. Put on your sneakers because I want you to go seven times. One, two, three, four. And Rahab's saying, come to my house. Five. Rahab's saying, come to my house. Six. Rahab's saying, come to my house. Why did God take so long? I, it, the Bible never says, but here's what I think. He wanted to give them a chance. He didn't want to destroy them. He wanted them to, as many, squeeze them in to Rahab's home, as many as will come. And that's, this is our God right now. It's as if right now the ark is covering planet Earth. Right now the circling us. God is saying one, two. We don't know how high the count will go, but right now this patient, loving God is pleading with people, don't let me, don't let my wrath fall on you. Would you let, would you come to Jesus? The wrath will fall on him and you will be spared. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we ask you to take your word and give us understanding. And we ask you to give us faith and that your Holy Spirit would accomplish your work in our life from it. In Jesus' name, amen.